This episode is a little bit of an experiment. I teamed up with Gary Grimes and Colin Grimes of the Across the Pond Wargamers podcast. We had a roundtable discussion with noted wargamers Sam Mustafa, Jasper Ortage, Annie Norman, and Elon Mitchell-Smith. We had a talk about ethics in wargaming. It's a bit heavier than the normal discussion I have on this podcast, but I, I hope you enjoy it. I hope it brings up some questions that you may have. And, you know, I'd like to hear from you. You know, send me a message on Twitter or in the open or on the Facebook page, what have you. And I think we need to keep this discussion going. I think it's important to talk about why we do what we do and and really what are some of the ethical questions at play. Because, you know, from time to time I, I think about it myself. You know, is it right for us to get entertainment from, on one level or another, the recreation of... You know, let's face it, pretty terrible events. But anyhow, uh, enjoy the episode. And as always, I look forward to your comments, uh, emails, Twitter messages, Facebook messages, uh, what have you. This is the Veteran Wargamer. Joint podcast between the Veteran Wargamer and Across the Pond Wargamers podcast. Uh, I'm Gary Grimes, and today we're taping an episode uh, between the two podcasts that we're going to be discussing the ethics in wargaming. Uh, with us, we have three uh, very good guests that we're we're all proud of, um, and I also we should have a fourth one joining. Hopefully, we'll join late, but. If not, uh, I want to introduce, uh, first of all, we got Jay. You want to say hi to your, your listeners? Everyone, this is the Veteran Wargamer. I am your host, Jay Arnold. In this episode, it's going to be a joint episode with Gary and Colin Grimes of the Across the Pond Wargamers, and we're going to be discussing the ethics and morality of wargaming. Uh, I'm pleased to introduce our guests. Well, I guess we need to introduce Colin, don't we? No, we can ignore no. Colin. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll just go to the bottom of the barrel. It's cool. Okay. Uh, okay, so we are we're uh, joined by a wonderful panel of guests, uh, luminaries, if you will, in the in the gaming hobby. Uh, first in the first in the shoot is Jasper Ortage, the editor of many magazines. Uh, Jasper, good day. How are you? I'm good. Uh, the luminary just that's just a light that's bouncing off my head. Um, I am, I'm editor-in-chief, which means I oversee several magazines. I'm actually editor of Ancient Warfare magazine. Uh, uh, but the one that you want me here for is uh, Wargame Soldiers and Strategy, probably. One of our favorites. One of? Well, one of the four, yes. They should all be your favorites. Well, they're, they're the only, it's the only one I subscribe Good. to. So, uh, but anyway... Also joining us is Elon Mitchell-Smith, uh, professor of medieval literature at, remind me, the Cal University. State Long Beach. Cal State Long Beach. That's right. That's right. Um, uh, Elon was a, well, actually, Jasper and Elon have both been guests on my show, and as well as our next guest, Sam Mustafa. Hello. 
Uh, many of you know Sam from his honor series of games, uh, including my favorite. Well, I guess technically Free Jumper is not a part of the honor series, but it's it's uh, a unique experience to say the least. Sam, how are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Okay, and it looks like we had a late arrival. Annie Norman of Bad Squiddo Games is joined us. Hello, Annie. Hello, hello, one month. <laughs> <laughs> Just nice and embarrassingly late. Well, for That's our okay. For our oh. listeners, we're, we're all on Zoom cameras, so we can all see each other. And we're seeing Annie scrambling in the <laughs> background, trying to get her headphones on and everything set up. So. Oh, my God. I just went, oh, I have some Twitter notifications. Oh, you coming to the Zoom? I was like, yeah, that's at seven, right? Oh, so I'm very, very sorry. I'm just, just like, oh, no, oh, no. Um, no. Yeah, British time is, uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm very sorry. <laughs> Yeah. Seven o'clock European, Central European. Yeah, well, the same thing happened to me last Thursday, Annie. And just automatically, just somebody from the UK wanted to talk to me at 3 p.m., sent me a, note, a similar notification to yours. And I saw it. I was like, oh, 3 p.m. in the UK. So that's 4 p.m. my time, except, you know, the notification that adapts for my time. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. And, and you have to forgive me, um, Sam. Where do you? You're a historian. Where are you a historian at? I, I work at Ramapo College of New Jersey. <clears throat> We're one of those the state New Jersey uh, colleges, uh, about about twenty miles from Manhattan. Okay. Okay. And for the uh, literature and English majors out there, my apologies for ending a sentence with a preposition. Um, <laughs> that is an affectation. That is actually perfectly okay. <laughs> Well, there, well, never mind. When we're not taping, I'll tell you how I remember that one. Uh, and <laughs> and Annie, uh, Bad Squiddle Games, right? Hello. Yes, that's me. Okay. You got everybody. <laughs> um, why don't we go ahead and jump right in? And if you don't mind, I'm going to, I'll kick us off, uh, Jay, with the the question that kind of, let me, let me talk about how we teed this up um, for the listeners. Uh, a while ago, I was listening to the Veteran Wargamer podcast, uh, which for the Across the Pond Wargamers listeners, you should listen to that one too. It's a really good podcast. Uh, and Jay was talking to somebody uh, on one of his uh, one of his guests, and they talked about you know not feeling comfortable doing the Vietnam War because it was too soon or, or new people or whatever. Another person, and then the, another one, and I'm not sure who exactly said it, said they don't feel comfortable putting SS troops out on the game or, you know, the putting out a lot of the SS troops out there. And it got me thinking, you know, what is the ethics behind what we do? What is the morality? I know some people who don't understand what we do may call it glorifying war or, you know, the, the, the violence and such. Um, and that got me thinking, you know, is what we do, is it ethical? Is it moral? So, I wanted to put this together to have all of us get together and, and because Jay and helped inspire the thought, uh, thought it'd be a good one to, to work with a veteran war game around because uh, uh, kind of our, our blended uh, approach to things and want to talk about that. So to start with, this whole topic is, is, it war, is war gaming ethical? Is what we do ethical or moral? So that's the question out there to start with. Who wants to jump in? I don't mind uh, starting out with some questions, I guess. Um, I think, uh, and um, I think that's a great question. I think for, for my purposes, the morality of it isn't as important as the ethical one, right? Like if, uh, 
there was a store here in California in Pasadena that I passed by that was selling, um, it was like, it sold incense and rugs and basic stuff like that. And then in the display case, it sold a dagger that was a reproduction of a Nazi dagger complete with swastika. So um, I don't know if there's a morality there in terms of whether ownership or selling of that is like right or wrong in some kind of cosmological sense. But I know that selling that dagger is bad for our culture right now. So yeah. that's really for me the question much more than morality is ethics. Like what do we do? And the three options, does it contribute to the problems that you may have noticed that in America we're, we're dealing with some stuff. Um, had uh, noticed. So <laughs> is, <laughs> is what we do contributing to some of those problems? Is it fighting against some of the negative movements in our culture or is it completely neutral? I think that that third option that it's neutral is almost never the case, but I know that that's a perspective that isn't shared by everybody. So for me personally, we are either contributing in whatever small way towards some of the negative movements of our culture, or we can fight against them in whatever small way. And um, so right now I would say that there's a lot of things that happen in wargaming that I would make an ethical choice against. But there's a lot of stuff happening that I'm 100% behind and for. I think one of those things, and like I, I feel like I'm always doing this whenever I'm sharing the space with Annie, uh, but I'm going to say it. I think that there's a, there was a chance that um, our wargaming had some difficult, that, that our wargaming in the past has been problematic in terms of gender and race. And that goes across the board, but I think that we just need, need more miniatures of women that are not embarrassingly horrible. And, and Bad Squiddo Games addresses that, I think, and produces excellent miniatures that, that, don't, that, don't, that don't seem political just because they are fine. And so gaming, like for me personally, gaming with Bad Squiddo miniatures and making sure that I have female representation that is not a result of 1970s and 80s misogynies in fantasy and medieval fantasy. Like that to me is an ethical choice and it doesn't even, it, it's not gonna be an obvious one, but it's one that does not happen a lot. So I'd say that we have a lot of problems if we're talking about ethics. Doesn't mean that we can't have fun, but I think that we have a lot of work to do if we're gonna ask this question. Yeah, I was gonna ask the question, should it? I mean, does it have to be? It's a pastime. Um, people do it uh, as escapism from a world that is uh, in a lot of upheaval right now. Um, is it fair to, to tell people that even in their escapism, they need to be ethical and moral? Or is that, a, is that, well, a, are we going? I, I think that's a great question. I don't want, I don't want to dominate. So I'll just say very quickly, I was trying to phrase things as much as possible in terms of what I'm choosing and what right. my choices are. I think that it is a problem for me to like go into somebody else's table at a con and be like, you know, start pointing out the things that I would have done differently, even though I might sometimes feel that, especially at 40 K tables. Right. Um, but, uh, but I think the first probably stop for ever, for all of us, is a question of how we are doing things and whether we, if we thought about it more, we might do something a little bit differently. The, the point where we tell, tell other people how to enjoy, um, that, that's a step that I probably would avoid, at least initially. 
Okay. Sam, Gary, can we go, go ahead, Sam. Can we go back to the question? Because uh, you, you framed the question very broadly. Yeah. Sort of, is, is what we're doing ethical? Meaning, I assume you mean just wargaming in general, which is very broadly yeah. framed. Um, <clears throat> and I, I don't really understand <clears throat> what you mean. Are you asking oh. whether it's ethical to turn a, something into a game that is based upon human suffering? Or are you asking, is it ethical to represent certain things, sides, countries, whatever, that might offend other well, people? I, well, I offend people in my daily life sometimes just by existing. So I'm not going to worry about too much on the offense side. But when it comes down to the, uh, you know, we're, we're war and violence and, you know, uh, some of us, um, some of us understand the violence of war better than others. Okay. Um, some of us know it through movies. Some of us know it through other ways. And, you know, we, we don't need, that's not for a topic for here today, but we do understand that there's, you know, it's violence, there's suffering, there's misery. Um, you know, we, we, we do a game where we are, the whole purpose of the game is to replicate warfare or some sort of violent conflict, some sort of combat, um, type thing to be a, to be a war game. Um, and that's the broad question. So, so yes, is it suffering? Is it, is it ethical? And it's just by rights. So, so you're, you're asking a sort of the meta question, yeah. which is, which is, is it okay to make something fun out of source material that involves human suffering, right? Yeah. That, that's a really good way to put it. I, I think that one way to frame that question, or maybe one way to frame a response to that is, by the same token, though, is it all right to make a movie about war or a book about war or a comic strip or any other media? Because really, I mean, if, if we're talking super meta, right, what we're talking about is a creative process wherein we are trying to capture some aspect of that conflict or another, right? And so... I think for the sake of, of this discussion, I think we probably need to start drilling down a little bit further than, than that, because I mean, you could have the same discussion about, like I said, you know, make it a war movie or a comic strip or, or anything. Right. Um, no, I, I just raised the question because obviously everybody on this, in this discussion to one degree or another is okay right. with it. Right. Yeah. We, we, some portion of our, some portion of our living is made by doing this. Right. It's a, You're a, making a, a living bias. doing this, Sam? Where do I sign up for that? <laughs> so it's, it's something um, it's something that I, I find myself questioning quite a lot uh, because it's part of the process of designing miniatures. So I do have this back of my mind fear that one day I'll suddenly go, oh no, this is massively unethical. What am I doing? This is awful. <laughs> so I try and sort of check myself along the way and that's never going to be perfect. But it is it is something I think about a lot. So um I haven't been doing any sort of interviewy things lately, but I was very excited when you emailed about this. So then when I saw I was late, I was like, oh no, it's what I really wanted to do. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is, it's something I think about a lot. And try, I've, I've always like really struggled to find a solid answer, which is another reason I think this is going to be a, a really good debate um, or discussion to debate. Um, but it's such a sliding scale from the people who would say, you know, any sort of wargaming is is unethical or immoral because of the nature of it to people that would have absolutely you know zero issue with playing a game that portrays the absolute worst you know and then people have their own sort of preferences along the way 
but that's all very nuanced depending on their background as in like you know their own personal history the country they're from um you know you don't know what's happened to different people what certain uh you know sort of triggers people have across all of that so it's really hard to sort of set a line a, a very you know a very strict line to say like this good this bad when one thing which you could think oh that's fine but then you could sort of mentally transpose somebody else from a different background into that and go oh yeah i could see why why that would be an issue so my the major thing that i sort of have come to conclusion with myself is that it's very context dependent so i think the the wider the potential audience for something the more careful you have to be one because you don't know who's there um so who you might be you know bother bothering i don't like the word offending because it just sounds like really weak you know like oh you're offending someone it's like no you could be upsetting somebody you could be ruining their day if it's a particularly heavy trigger point um so yeah when when the when it's that wide you're casting that huge net you don't know so it's best to be as sort of safe as possible and also people outside the hobby it's like out of that context do you want people to see that and see that's what the hobby is um, whereas the smaller group you're playing, you know, if you're playing with your best mate that you've played with for the last 20 years or something, as as long as you're both on the same level, then it's if it's hobbying in private, it's kind of hard to say, you know, where where a line should be. That sort of, it's, you know, it's everyone's hobby. And when people are moaning, for example, about my stuff, saying, oh, no, they've got clothes on. You're trying to force clothes on all the miniatures. Like, well, no, I'm not. Um, and like, you know, it's, she's coming for a hobby. It's like, no, because nobody's, as long as something's not illegal, nobody's stopping you from, yeah, from, from playing with your naked, <laughs> naked female minis on Fantasy Island game that you've made or whatever. You know, you playing that in your house with your mate who thinks it's amazing. You know, there's, that's that context. But if you were to bring that to, for example, to a war game convention, then it, then it becomes a whole other a thing. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, it does. Yeah, I was I was thinking actually when when you guys are mentioned uh, the the broader context, I was thinking about conventions because I remember a few years ago I saw um, someone had done it was in one of the American conventions a magnificent model and mock up of the Pearl Harbor attack with the you know the battleships were done I don't know what scale but they were like this big each one you know it was it was gorgeous. And I was thinking, you know, in the 21st century, no one has any issues gaming the Pearl Harbor attack. I think all the players were Japanese and they were trying to rack up points sinking American ships. Whereas take that game mm. back in time to about 1955 and you'd be lucky to escape alive, you know, if you tried to do the Pearl Harbor attack. And I'm, I'm sure if wargaming still exists in a quarter century, I'm sure we'll, that there will be, you know, games of the 9-11 attacks. But Which when is, I, um, sorry. Go ahead, Annie. When go I ahead. moved, because um, I started in fantasy wargaming, so the first exposure I had to historical wargaming, whereas I think a lot of older people started with historical, I had no idea it even existed. I just knew of Warhammer. Uh, then I started attending a, you know, a gaming center and started seeing people play, you know, games like Bolt Action. And it was entirely new to me. And there was quite a while where I wasn't sure, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. I don't know about this because in my mind, it's like, well, um, you know, it's the same sort of game, but I've been playing, you know, fantasy goblins and vampires and things and I thought there's people there's people playing World War II I don't know <laughs> kind of like that for a while obviously fast forwards and I'm producing a massive range of World War II figures but one of the things when I was when I was kind of unsure because I was just like is it okay I don't know but I'm like I'm not someone who's directly 
affected by World War II, so I don't know. Because I'll see people, you know, see figures that I find really crass, offensive to women, saying it's okay. But so, well, they're not being affected. So I try and be aware of, you know, because I'm not necessarily bothered by something like, yeah, but I haven't, you know, I haven't been to war or anything like that. I have no military background. And one of the things that sort of started winning me over was the knowledge that when I started realising that so many of the people playing were ex-army or current army, and I started looking into the history of wargaming and it being that sort of, you know, way before it's our sort of modern established wargaming, it's just a thing that people did, you know, that um, was it not, not teaching for war, but it's almost that sort of side hobby i've gone into a ramble so no, no, ac and, and but, actually there there is teaching for war uh yeah. is been an, is how the hobby developed is was developed to train and teach for war and it became a some offshoots out of that uh became parlor games so to speak for some of the rich and famous and uh, the of the time periods and then finally you know good old hg wells developed his game for uh Games for boys and the more intelligent girls. He was so like boys close. Games. Like, oh, he was so close. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, that's that close. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was still probably miles away. But yeah. first time so, was probably. Can we great. go back? Can we go back to the question about the SS? <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah. <clears throat> because I'm just thinking that a, a lot of these questions about um, <clears throat> about morality are, are are sort of a little too convenient. You know, the 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 SS, for example, is a little they're a little too convenient bad guys because they wear this this handy insignia. You know, they're a bit of they're a bit of Star Wars bad guys like Bwahaha, Look, we we have you know we we tick all the boxes um, yeah, for for bad guy. Yeah, I I've I don't I don't I've never painted any SS figures, but I have in my closet over here some Japanese. Mm -hmm. Um, who are, you know, garden variety Japanese infantry who on any given day in the Pacific War probably did things that made the SS look like Boy Scouts. Um, are, we, are, are we going to decide now that, you know, the, you know, we're going to have this sort of relative scale and of performance? Who, who, who gets to be the baddie du jour that's, well, that's forbidden uh, from our uh, representation? I mean, I think that's a great question, Sam. Um, but I don't think that, I, I mean, I really think this is where the issue of ethics versus morality might come up. I don't think that we have a problem in America right now with Japanese imperialism. But because we, because we have, have American problem. imperialism right now. Well, well. <laughs> Sorry, that, that was a joke. Okay, that was a joke. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I think we do have a problem with notions of ethno-nationalism that claim um, Nazis and Nazi paraphernalia as some kind of a point of origin or authority. And so for me, that makes all the difference, right? Like if we were actually doing a, if we we're actually doing deep historical work, I think your point is great. But in terms of like the spaces that we control or the products that we produce and the way that that affects the consumer or the participants, um, the presence of, of Nazis on the table just is very different than the presence of Japanese, even though the, the historical question you bring up, I think is a really good one. Well, but for me, I'll go another, you know, like I'm not gonna make any friends here, but I don't like the argument that SS is bad, but German regular army is totally cool, works well for war gamers. And I think it works well for reenactors, but I don't think it works for other people, right? Like when I go to an event, which I did recently here, and there are people wearing German officer uniforms, but they're not SS, and they were doing it for a game. 
I'm just as turned off and embarrassed. And, and if anybody came in, I would just be, and for them to explain like, oh, these were just the people working for the monsters. They weren't in fact the monsters themselves. Like that doesn't work for me at all. And so World War II gaming across the board for me, I have a really hard time with them again. Um, Jasper, I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest that, that other people shouldn't enjoy it. I just don't know how they could, especially like I said before, I'm half orange Irish or whatever that means, but the, the half I identify with more is Jewish. And like for me and for my Jewish friends, I don't know how they do it. And when I ask them, they give me answers that I find unsatisfying. Yeah, but you know the the the, uh, the objection that you're raising is is sort of cited in contemporary politics, though, right? There's there, there's too, there's too much going on that's in your face, and it reminds you of bad stuff, and you don't want to indulge in it in your spare time. I get that, but of course, the the contemporary uh, troublemakers that you're citing have a proclivity also to haul around the Confederate flag, don't they? So, oh, sure. Well, let me. And, well, there goes another. And there, there goes another branch of the hobby as well. So that takes them out of the. Sure, and a bunch of yeah, and a and a bunch of misconceived medievalisms, right? Well, like that's a that's a big thing for them too. Well, we look at. I mean, and for for using our history, and I know we could talk about um, Turks fighting Armenians, uh, but like in our history, our you know we glorify in the United States the Seventh Cavalry. Uh, you know, the, 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 the pony wars, the U.S. cattle march riding off for glory and all that. The tactic of the time was to attack the villages and burn the villages because that's the only thing, way they could catch the, uh, the natives and get them to fight. So let's destroy villages. But yet we still glorify that because it doesn't have the same connotation as, you know, the, the German troops sweeping through eastern Russia or uh, uh, western Russia or invading France or, 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 you know, plowing through the Netherlands, you know. Or killing you know. a bunch of Jews. Exactly. But, you know, that, but then that, but let's ask a question here. And this is, this kind of leads us, kind of transcends into kind of the next point I was thinking along this when we we're talking is how do we determine what is acceptable in wargaming? Obviously, no, I don't know of a single person that would think wargaming Dachau is acceptable. I, I honestly, I don't. That was that was a topic that Jim Dunnigan, yes. you know, James Dunnigan raised many years ago in a book in the 70s. Yep. He he posited this idea. What well, could there be a game about Auschwitz, for example? And then he, he claimed to have asked a bunch of different people. And he was interested that the responses varied depending on what role the player was supposed to take. So if the player was gaming mass murder, for instance, then there was no support for that. If they were gaming some sort of prisoner escape or something like that, <clears throat> then he found a more nuanced level of, 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 of views about it. And you know, so I, he, he deliberately went to the most extreme example he could find of something that should trigger everybody, right? And he still managed to tweak it in such a way that he found some people, apparently quite a few, who could, find, who could, who could get their heads around gaming Auschwitz. Right. There was a game recently at, or maybe not recently, in 2019, I, I think it was, since it wasn't one in 2020, at Salute, of uh, a riot at the English Channel. And they gamed a riot. Yeah, that, that was future history. It might still come to pass. I don't know. Well, do you yeah, have I'm not sure it's so future. <laughs> I think it was predictable history. Um, <laughs> But they gamed a riot. Very well yeah. done. As yeah, well. it probably was too. It, it, the pictures it are great. Um, <laughs> but the question is, that's the same type of thing. We're, we're, you know, again, we go back to, is that ethical? I mean, is that 
what I, I think, where, I think do we, you, where do we draw the line? I, I think when you're going for examples, you just end up what uh, with what Annie said. It's it's contextual and it's going to depend on the person. Um, you know, anytime somebody says, you know, the SS bad, Wehrmacht good, somebody can go and point out a host of examples where Wehrmacht does exactly the same thing or the Japanese are worse. And if you can't find them in the Second World War, you just go back a little further and you find somebody else, you know, you know that, or, or even, or more modern, you know, um, I, I don't think I'd want to play the Dutch in Aceh or, um, you go back to the Assyrians. I mean, it's whatever you want, you can find it. it. And you come back to the very first question, you know, in the end, you're, you're playing games based around, around human suffering. And then it's probably going to end up being a, a personal choice. Like, you know, I'm personally very interested in the battle of Arnhem. So it's going to be very hard to avoid SS. Yeah. And then people go, oh, yeah, but they behaved well. Eh, there's examples uh... of war there, too. <laughs> um, you know, there's, uh, f- for me, there's uh, um, Jamie Tranter did a really nice range of um, Poland's, Polish resistance fighters for the, the Warsaw Revolt. But then in my brain, I go, so the opponents are the Dielowanger Brigade? That's a bit too far for me. Um, but this is i think it's it's this is based on what you know yourself uh and and your personal values you could if you want to say okay so what do you get out of it what might be positive um maybe that's that's a better way to to look at it is um i think i I think it goes for a lot of people that they start playing a, a period or an army and they go and find out about what they did in, in reality and learn about history, perhaps learn about tactics and, uh, and military history. And, and I think, uh, you know, being a historian myself too, just learning about history helps you understand the world and usually helps you understand other people better. Yes. Uh, even if it's through the, the worst things that people did to each other. Um, and I think if that is the outcome, then that's a positive. But it sometimes it can take a long time to dig through all the wargamerisms, which can be, frankly, terrible and, and just reinforce all kinds of stereotypes. Well, one I'm thing. Sorry, can, can you, I, I, I just, uh, did you say dig through all the wargamerisms? Wargamerisms, yeah. That's awesome. I don't think I've heard that. Did you just mind explaining? I think I know exactly what you mean. I've just never heard it. Yeah, you know, well, if you, if you play Warhammer Ancient Battles, then the Spartan hoplite is extra hard and extra cool and mm-hmm. more points and he will beat every other other uh, every other hoplite on the on the battlefield in reality right. spartan hoplites aren't that you know it comes back to molen lava come and get him yeah what's the persian answer okay we will right <laughs> and the and the armies that don't have a lot of historical evidence about them have the least amount of special rules and so they suck the most yeah, right. it, it's it's all it's yeah. a combination of all the of all those things. Yeah, it's, that's great. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, that's a good point. I've, um, Go ahead. Go. I've mentioned I've mentioned a few times that um, not in this, but just over the years, that I'm very much a latecomer to to historical wargaming and to to a lot of learning about history. Um, so it's something I was talking about with someone earlier today that um, the, the the history I was taught at school was was very crap, to be honest, <laughs> and. 
and the stuff that I had interest in was very much um, that sort of well, the fancy stuff, the same things that you're interested in as a child, you know, like the dinosaurs and the ancient Egyptians and things. But any sort of vaguely modern or definitely military history, I had I had no interest in, but it never been put at me. And I think part of that was being a girl that as you're, you know, if you're a boy growing up, you always have your, your army men and stuff like that. And it's all very ingrained and expected, but it's not put at you as a girl. So in order for me to have got into that sort of thing, I would have had to actively seek it out, but it didn't seem interesting to me. But when I began uh, Bad Squidow Games and I started researching, I was trying to find some cool women from history to start making miniatures of, stumbled across uh, the Night Witches from Soviets. And sort of like, again, fast forward, I have a million Soviets. I've just got a load of sculpts through today as well of more Soviets. It's very exciting. Um, <laughs> but, but that, I, I saw this one unit basically, and it just led me down an entire, uh, and that was the point that I found the, the connection of something that made me interested. And then it's almost like the difference between sometimes when you're a kid, you see things and they're not interesting. And then you're an adult, and you're like, oh, what? You know, I went to such and such and I found it really boring. And now as an adult, it's really interesting. So kind of revisiting a lot. Um, so it ended up by me, me getting into historical wargaming at the same time as obviously making the figures because I thought, well, I should probably play with them. <laughs> so, um, but that, that um, historical wargaming has got me far more interested in particularly World War II because I can't learn everything at once, but history in general. But I'm, I've been sort of reading and podcasting and <laughs> filming my way through World War II, ca trying to catch up with people um, for the last few years. And a big mission of what I do is to inform people about forgotten women from history. So when I do start thinking, you know, oh, should we be doing this? And I think, well, the, a large part of what I do is educating. So I get to tell people about these women from history that a lot of the time did do some really amazing things. And... And then that's sort of like um, occasionally there's been a few recently where somebody has been, uh, you know, given the blue plaque or something. So a thing in Britain where you'll put a blue plaque or outside where someone famous grew up. So they'll do that of, um, you know, say like um, Nora Niat Khan got one last year, the SOE. And then a load of people were like, Annie, Annie, you know, <laughs> she was given the plaque, but we knew who she was because of you. I'm like, yes. So that being able to educate, again, let, learn, learn from history, understand more about history is generally good for sort of you know, progressing as humanity because there's no point just making the same mistakes over and over again. So the more you can be educated on that, I think is a, is a really good thing. And if that, if the wargaming kind of, gives people that boost to sort of learn more about what they're playing with, which is where I think sort of games like Bolt Action, because it's so accessible to people that wouldn't normally play, you know, it's, you know people come from 40k, for example, then do start learning the fluff, <laughs> which is actual history. But it is sort of like, um, yeah, get, getting more people into that. It's almost being a, a reason to learn. Perhaps. But but doesn't games like for, uh, Flames of War and and uh, Bolt Action and I and and I they're both good games. I'm not slamming the games. Uh, it's more along the people that go into them or whatever. Don't those games have a tendency to? And I'm gonna. This is a phrase I used before: glorify <laughs> the inglorious. For instance put out that special box of an you know, Kampfgruf Piper uh, or 
put out the the you know the here's the SS or here's the you know here's a special SS troop that you know get these guys these are the they have all these fantastic stats and fantastic you know wargamerisms like Jasper. Yeah, that that could be the problematic again from people coming where you have your you know yeah your forty k special hero and it's totally detached from reality and then perhaps yeah you are playing some people would be playing it in a trivialized sort of manner and like oh yeah there's you know this great German commander's come out oh look at his stats it's amazing without making the connect but I think there's always going to be those sort of people right I mean I think you can this is this this is uh, you know leading the horse to water but you can't make him drink. Uh, you know, if people don't want to learn about the history, they're not going to, they're just going to play a game. And coming back to what I said at the beginning, it, you know, it's a hobby. And if people can be social and, and meet, meet new people and maybe people with other ideas about life, then, then they might have, which leads to further understanding down the pub, then that's a good side effect already. Um, and if they if they learn about the history, then it's good. And and I agree that sometimes the marketing goes a bit uh, awol, um, or it's actually it's too present. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I remember from I don't know over a decade ago that I think if, I don't know I don't remember which game it was, but they had a big ad that said celebrating the coming of early war. And it's like really that's seemed like it was a bit off to me but <laughs> so something i quite like discussing is casualty figures oh yeah so i current currently don't make any casualty figures because i personally always feel a bit oh about it and i was chatting to great escape games i think last week about it because they've just released some new ones and they were saying that um they well they Stu from great escape games were saying that he'd looked at some some war casualties basically for reference and then went yeah, we're not going to do that. You know, what people actually look like when they're dead, we shan't make figures of that. So they've got that sort of, it's almost like a, a standard, I guess, for a lot of companies now that your casualty figures are very much, they're in the uniform and that sort of flat, almost like the chalk guy from the crime scene sort of thing. So they're very sanitized. There's not, you know, the sort of people being, well, the what actually happens in war. So they said that's the um, that's the level they'd go to because it's you know they're still using the casualty figures, but you don't have to gore it up basically. Right. Um. So yeah, because I keep thinking you know obviously if I made them I would sell a lot of them, and it's one of my many <laughs> ongoing like where do I go with it? But like, I personally aren't comfortable with them, but it doesn't mean that I have a problem with other people using them. Uh, which I, I find know. gets crossed over a lot when I get people going, and he wants everything stopped. I'm like, no, I just... Did, I, I don't just know. People would end up, you'd have to paint every army twice. Yeah. <laughs> well, the way I lose, it would be yes. <laughs> you know, where, unless you do like a little disc with one dead person and a counter. Like that's uh. the only way I think that <laughs> well, I, I think if we're, if we're concerned yeah. about glorifying things, right, there's two ways to look at this. <clears throat> it, by, by not putting out casualty figures, you're, you're, you're glorifying the you know all, everything about the war except for the dying part right <clears throat> but by using the casualty figures are you being more realistic and then less glorifying if that's uh, can be used as a <clears throat> as an adverb but or or are you now glorifying death i i these are all subjective i can see multiple interpretations well i think it's I think, oh go ahead go ahead Elon. well i think we're talking about a couple different things here and i think they're all really interesting but um but it might be useful to, to make a distinction. I, the 
like I don't tend to use <laughs> casualty figures um, for two reasons. First of all, I don't want to do all that painting. I think that's the main thing. And second of all, um, to say that my games are history is probably accurate, but to say that they're the past is inaccurate. My games represent that kind of history and that kind of historical narrative where dead people disappear, which is common in history books, uh, in like actual histories and in narrative. And I'm okay with that. Um, but <laughs> like more to the point, I feel like um, what we're taught, what you said, Sam, about Auschwitz, like that might be the main thing. It, if we focus on the ethics of wargaming as a whether we should or whether we shouldn't, whether we're okay and whether we're not okay, like that misses the point, I think. But if all of us realize that whenever we put on a game or have like control of space that people are gonna be enjoying it, if, there are, if we might just ask questions first, right? And if the games that we put on might um, result from those questions, like it, I never thought about this before and I don't like World War II playing, but a cooperative miniatures game where everybody plays a medic and the soldiers are continually turning into casualties and you're trying to work with like the whatever, like you have one truck and three medics and you're trying to turn the casualties back into soldiers or get them off the table. Like that could be a really fun game, but it's a game that would result from like what would be the most ethical and fun use of casualty figures. Like asking that question first is the thing. And I think that is maybe another distinction that we should make is that like bolt action for World War II, I have a couple bolt action armies because I like to paint and I like to play with people. Um, but I don't think it's a game, like it's a game that you might play and get into history, but it's loads different, I think, than the game that somebody puts on with friends and then people come and play. Because you know what I mean? So like if, if you're putting a game on and you're like, I'm doing this battle, the SS were a part of it, so I'm painting them. That to me is different than somebody showing up with their SS army looking to kick somebody's ass with it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, like definitely. That, in terms of ethics, and just in terms of whether I want to hang out and do something like that, it's very different. No, I, I think that's a, I think that's a great point, Elon. Um, and really, I think what everyone has been saying to one degree or another is, what is it that we're wanting to achieve with our pursuit of this hobby, right? And yeah, there's a fun aspect because if it wasn't fun, then it would just be a 300 level college course, right? And no, <laughs> 300 level college courses are terribly fun. <laughs> Sam, back me up. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Um, and you know, it, especially when we're talking about historical wargaming, you know, if if there's not some type of educational element to it, whether that is in a, you know, whether you're trying to learn about how you know how these people with the training they had how they reacted in certain situations you know the, the lardies are great at digging the two fat lardies are great in at digging into the actual practices and how forces were trained to react to these situations and put those mechanisms into their games to you know reward historically accurate play for example um and I like your point, Elon, about, you know, there's a difference between, you know, putting together a game for your friends or convention setting where, yeah, there are SS troops on the table because it's an Arnhem game and there's going to be SS troops, for example, rather than, hey, let's just go ahead and bring 600 points or whatever the value du jour is of forces. And, hey, here's my 
you know, here's my Einsatz group. And it's like, uh, you know, that's, that'd be a little weird. Right. So it's a good filter just a level. Who, who you want to play with or not though. So oh, absolutely. Yeah. At least if someone yeah. turns up with that, you can be like, right, I will never speak to you again. Excellent. Thank and, you. It's like a big, uh, big banner. So, you know, I am uh, void. Not to swear. Right. I am the worst person ever. Sort of banner. Be, You're like, oh yes. Thank you. <laughs> and it'd be another Sorry. thing altogether. If you were putting that game on in a convention setting and you, you as the game organizer or one of your players were wearing you know, Hitler is cool t-shirt or, you know, whatever, you know, obviously, well, I can't say obviously people wouldn't do that, but they do, they do, you know, whether it's, you know, the SS, the SS lightning bolt runes or, you know, even or part, part or complete uh, or entire uniforms. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, there's definitely an issue there because again, we're getting back to, you know, what is it that we're displaying to the public at large? You know, and I, I definitely think that those type of antics do more to hurt the hobby than they do to help. And well, and, and I get it that in the United States, it's a political, it's very politically charged iconography now. And yeah, the Civil War ended 160 some years ago, but we're back to that some of that iconography being being politically charged but we we really need to think what is it that we're what is it that we're trying to portray and what is it that we hope to get out of what we're doing and um you know it's and this is a tough topic and i'm sure that we could have a podcast an entire podcast series just on this topic and the different nuances that go into it because you know when we talk about things like you know uh i think jasper brought up the the uh the spartans right it's mm-hmm. it's totally cool to play a Spartan army, you know, or any ancient army really. And ancient sure. armies did some really horrible stuff. That was de rigueur. It was you know business as usual. And if you know modern armies, or I'm saying modern in the historical perspective of what 1700 ish and yeah. you know if if we were playing with an army that did some of the stuff that the Roman legions did and in Gaul, well, we'd we'd have some concerns about that, and I, I think there there is there is definitely that sensitivity that age or antiquity, whatever term you want to use, allows us to assuage somewhat. You know, the living yeah. uh, and, I, and I bet you can still find examples. Oh yeah, um, it just it's just maybe not in the European battlefields, but something more further afield, probably. With the well, casualty let... figures, it was things when I was thinking about that. It's like, well, I have way less of a problem with um, like a Viking casualty because it's almost like they're not real because mm. they're that far in history. It, it's very detached. Whereas when you get up to sort of that, you know, last hundred years, then yeah. there is that oh, because it's more connectable. And I think that's so, just a psychological yeah. who, thing. Who, yeah, who among us doesn't have? I assume all of you have some kind of Celtic figure holding a severed head. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's like just a standard for what we do. But a Japanese soldier holding yeah. like a separate American head, that would be horrific. So yeah. so like, sort be- of extrapolating from the casualty figures, what what do you think about uh, people who play like a Zulu game and the Zulus get recycled? Me personally. The, <laughs> well, because of the because of the number of figures involved to do a Zulu game, I think most of us have to recycle. Uh, yes, don't but, have that many figures. But you know, thinking about it, just a good ex- point. you know, 
But I, but I mean, I, I think this is, I, I'm, I'm kind of aware in the back of my mind also that Colin has a, that, that I hope that we're not like closing out Colin. Um, so Colin, if you want to weigh in or something, especially, <laughs> uh, please do. Okay. Um, so jump in, Colin. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, uh, well, I was just going to quickly say for a Zulu game, I think that like either you're aware of colonialism or you're not when you put on the game. And I don't think it has to ruin anybody's fun. And if I pass a Zulu game, I'm not like, those guys are assholes. I hate all of them. <laughs> but, but I do think that if we're gonna ask questions first, if that's just part of the responsibility for putting on games of asking a question, like it would be cool to see a Zulu game where it seems like somebody had asked some questions. You know, and then, and then the recycling of miniatures, like, yeah, we just have to do that because we know, because, but, but, but asking the, the political question or the social question and making that an evident part of the game, I would appreciate that. I think that's a, a good move. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, know I don't that. understand why, why recycling in that context of a single game is any different than repurposing the figures as proxies for, you know, from, from game to game. You know, my, my German. Yeah, that's uh, true. Uh, I don't know, infantry are going to stand in as SS because we're going to play the battles around Caen you know, in, in the, the Normandy campaign. But I didn't mean this as SS, right? Uh, I just meant that, that that they, you know, it sort of presupposes if you recycle them that there should be an enormous stack of those casualty figures. <laughs> yeah, and that maybe one white life is worth 50 brown or black lives, right? Like that's that's kind of the specter behind that kind of game. Right. Well, that's the way it looks. That's the appearance it could give. But yeah, what were you going to say? say? Well, I mean, the sheer numbers of colonial era battles, right, implies that the, in order to, to have any chance at all, the native armies usually had to have massive uh, superiority. And uh, to to try to work around that, I think, would be would be really sort of missing the point of gaming the period. I think maybe at that point, just play something else. Fair point. Yeah. Well, I mean, I hear what you're saying, Sam. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and of course, that's the case. I think that there's, if we start asking questions, there is a history um, of tons of barbarians versus few civilized that ends up saying things that even that's a, even though that's a historical event that happens, it ends up um, containing themes that are ahistorical. I'm going to um, jump yeah, on yeah, this yeah, one I, real I, fast. I understand What's what you're saying. But I, but I also just wanted to ask, how many times, like, do we play 19th century Africans versus Africans? Well, like almost never. No, my, I'm just saying that if, if that's the reality of the period. And if that reality is distasteful, don't play that period. True, true. But, but did the Zulus fight other Africans? Oh, yeah. Them? Oh, Shaka Khan took over. Or what was his and, name? Shaka and Zulu. My guess, my sorry, guess is that we, and so my guess Shaka is Shaka Zulu. <laughs> Shaka Zulu. <laughs> took over and conquered a whole region on there. Um, Gary, as if any of us could not be singing that song right now. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. Gosh, I blew that one. But hey, I want to jump in real fast. Historical wargaming links learns to, leads to learning about recent musical history. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, I want to jump in on one thing. You said something, Elon, I want to, I want to jump on. You said barbarian versus civilized. Yeah. What, are you calling? Uh, were you calling the Zulu culture barbaric because of their? They had a highly structured organizational um, pattern. They had a very. They were very civilized, in their their civilization. Civilization was very civil. So you just brought in a preconceived notion, inadvertently, uh, or inadvertently uh, that we all bring to the table of 
when you have Western or, yeah, or it's, advanced I think it's technology. Short yeah, it's perhaps, just perhaps I wasn't. Perhaps it's, I wasn't it's Romans versus Germanics. My, it's yeah. I was versus Zulus. In, in, I was talking about the practice of gaming in the past, and that we we repeat the same trope over and over again. And I, I got to twist that a little bit just for fun. Okay, <laughs> okay, but well, but what you say is actually one of the defenses that people often erect against a conversation about reception or about the way we reproduce history, right? I'm not imposing my notion of a barbarian onto the Zulus. I'm saying that if you look at narratives of Zulu versus British, it ends up being the same thematically as insects versus space marines. What are those, what are the ones called? The um, alien? Tyranids. Tyranids, yeah. yeah, Tyranids versus space marines. Or, barbarians versus Romans, it ends up being thematically the same over and over and over again. And the only term that we have to, to explain that is barbarian. My whole point was that if we saw the Zulus as an actual people in the period, and if we were as even-handed as we wanted to, and if we weren't applying the term barbarian to them, then we would be gaining much more broadly with the various cultures, peoples, weapons, and tactics that were present at the time and not so hyper-focused on a few well-equipped, well-trained white people versus hordes of non-white people who seem monst monstrous. Does that make sense? No, it does, it does. Okay. But it goes back to then, if what are we trying to achieve as, as gamers? To me, I love historical gaming. I, I do a little bit of sci-fi and things like that, but rarely. But I like the historical aspect. So to me, it's fascinating Zulu tactics because they had very, for their weaponry, their organizational structures, or thing. they had very advanced tactics. But those tactics came head to head against a technology that they weren't prepared for. And that's the thing is then now we have a, uh, outdated tactics versus new technology. And we have examples of that throughout history. You could argue the same thing with, with the, the, the Gauls and Celts versus the Romans. They were, you know, a tribal structure with, with, uh, um, uh, tribal structures with, with limited technology against a very highly organized structure with lots of technology of the time when you look at Romans versus Celts or things like that. It's um, a bit of a when. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I granted, very simplistic, I understand. It's not my period at all uh, for knowledge, but then we're, but see, then we're capturing accuracy of hist history. And to me, that is not unethical. That is a teaching moment. Unless, Go ahead, Colin. Unless it's the direct um, recreation of romanticized literature or movies, because we do get a lot of our inspiration from movies. Like, um, let's say Waterloo. Everyone wants to play Waterloo just like uh, the... Well, what year was the, the movie? Like 19... Yeah, okay. So everybody wants to do the, the great cavalry charge of the guard and the, or the counter charge of the household cavalry of the British and it's always romanticized so it's more so of us personally having hurdles and those hurdles divided by romanticism and disconnection with the lead or pewter or plastic we're pushing around on the table versus the actual event so if we can romanticize and dehumanize what's on the tabletop it makes us easier to portray it and just be like, 
oh, well, I'm just viewing it in the eyes of the commander. I'm not doing any of the other side stuff. It's irrelevant. I'm just pushing this pewter around on table. Since, since yeah, we're talking about ultimately other people's reactions to what we do, right? I mean, I think probably each of us mm. consistently or inconsistently has our own set of uh, rationalizations for what's okay and what isn't. But the, <clears throat> we seem to be concerned about what other people think we do. And, and, and here we, I think we're indulging in a little bit of fantasy because the, 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 our hobby is so <laughs> specialized and, and it's such a small percentage of the population that we should be so fortunate well, okay. to, to attract enough attention to piss anybody off. That's, that, is, that, is, that is true and that goes for most things, but um, you know, some certainly kids might sort of come across wargaming magazines if they just, you know, they, they you know, the, the WSS is next to GW and then next to uh, history magazines, you know, that's exposure. Uh, YouTube has certainly, I, I doubt people will sort of randomly pick up a podcast, but YouTube might just present something. If somebody's just, you know, you've watched, um, uh, you watched a clip from Band of Brothers about the, the attack on Foy, and then YouTube suggests, hey, here's the Little Wars TV version of the attack on Foy. And somebody clicks on that and goes, well, this is interesting. I mean, at that point, you know, YouTube has it. I think it supposedly is, is now the biggest search engine in the world. People look for information that way, search for information that way. Um, and, and you potentially have an enormous exposure there and you can, that could be turned to good and, and you can might gain new war gamers for the future. And you might piss people off immensely and never see them back and or get the hobby in trouble. Think of other people, isn't that that split between non-war gamers that might stumble across things, other war gamers that perhaps don't pay, play that particular period, or, you know, say fantasy sci-fi war gamers, and then also just people that aren't you. So by talking about other people, it's <laughs> yeah. like, you know, this, this may offend such and such, but it doesn't, they're not the, uh, you know, theoretical people, they're just people that aren't you. <laughs> I think that's a good point. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And it's and it's a good thing to keep in mind. I also like, you know, Sam, I think you and I are probably on the same page because we're in the classroom, which means that I will have elaborate fantasies about the effect that whatever inane like nonsense I say in the classroom will have, you know, like the, the trickle down theory of like, well, if I represent um, chivalry in just the right way, it's going to affect the whole world. So like, I agree, that's probably nonsense. It, the stakes are very low, but um, I might be able to sustain this argument that video games do have an effect on the world. Yes. And video games that are direct their attention to, the, to a medieval fantasy are a large part of that, like World of Warcraft. And those are entirely racialized and they celebrate race war in pretty much every way and they represent race in ways that are damaging. Um, and that they all come from Dungeons and Dragons and that Dungeons and Dragons come from historical wargaming. And so if in historical wargaming, we have a tendency to celebrate race war, which we do a little bit, um, I guess I see not a clear connection, but maybe a complicated one or an elaborate connection to much larger cultural structures. Will you go for that, or is that too much of a stretch? I think it's too much of a stretch, frankly. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I, 
I don't know. I, a couple of things in my head. I mean, surely we're about the same age. We do the same job. And we've seen that the, 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 the young people we teach are among the most socially conscious and thoughtful generations that have ever existed. And they've been doused with video games since birth. And, you know, my millennial students are way nicer to other humans than we were when we were that age. Um, and you know, dis despite this immersion in first-person shooters and you know, Game of Thrones-style misogyny and, and, and World of Warcraft and so on, somehow they've managed to turn out better than we did, I think. Uh, so I'm well, not they have, but, not they have but, but when we were young, I used to wear a Thor's hammer around my neck because I thought Viking stuff was cool. Now I would be singling, signaling white supremacy if I did that, right? Regardless of what it historically might have meant, that is one of the symbols. So we have lost ground in some ways to um, the a kind of medieval fantasy of ethno-nationalism that I think does in some ways go along with some medieval fantasy video gaming and, and gaming in general. But are, but is it, <laughs> are, ahead, are we playing war though? Because we're not, it's not war, it's a representation. We're playing a game with the theme of war and depending on the game that you're playing, you know, it could be as accurate as possible or it could be very loose. You know, it could almost, you know, those say popular, those, those popular games that, um, you know, that are sort of like they're themed in say World War II, but that's about as far as it goes to write to the, you know, the really, really, really super in-depth games that the sort of things that I would say aren't fun. But between all that, they're still not actually war. They're still representations of war. And you're choosing how you represent it. Yeah. So an argument. I, the the I best see, suggestion I've. Oh, sorry. An argument I see quite a bit is people going, "Well, it happens in war. Like, so when what happens in war? Like, yeah, a lot, a lot of really, really horrific things happen, but we don't want to do that in our two hours of leisure time. We're not, we're not being war. You know, as we're not in there, because um, otherwise, if you were accurately portraying war, it'd be horrific. So why would you do that? Why would you do that as a hobby? So you have to like yeah. sanitize it to some extent or it's not fun. <laughs> Best suggestion I've ever heard, which I don't think anybody wants to recommend to, um, to convey some of the misery would be when, you know, a, a figure or a unit is killed to grab it off the table and stomp on it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think Annie's point is, <laughs> <clears throat> more or less exactly expresses how I've always felt about the games I design. <clears throat> I, I used to, I hear this a lot less now than I used to 20 some years ago, but people used to get on my case about what exactly does this rule on paragraph 47b represent and how can you represent that historically and so on. And I, I, I always thought that was just um, a kind of fool's errand to try to run down that way because there's, I'm a historian and a game designer and I can tell you right now there's surprisingly little common ground between those two things. Um, <clears throat> I design games that have a flavor and that flavor is, is derived from the images and ideas, things I read or things I see or things I imagine about, about things I've never experienced. Um, not only am I not a veteran in my lifetime, but I'm certainly not a Napoleonic veteran. Uh, <clears throat> so this is, this is all you know, conjectural and it's all a conscious decision to sample selectively from elements of representations of war. But I even and that's, that's why I'm not too worried about the ethics, frankly, that we're consciously sampling, whether we do so consistently or not, it's another argument, but I'm not gonna play gotcha with anybody about it. <laughs> but we're, we're consciously sampling 
from this sort of smorgasbord of impressions, if you will, and forming recreation around it. My wife and I played the board game Pandemic a couple of weeks ago. We had all the meaning to get around to it. And I kept thinking to myself, uh, you know, I, I guess we're the good guys, right? We're trying to keep the, the pandemic from spreading, but it is a game about people suffering and dying, right? Uh, mm -hmm. It, it, yeah, it, I, I can imagine any number of people objecting to that as a theme for a game. Because for when you make rules, you you tweak things that are not hundred percent historically accurate, but so they would make a better game. So it's all about making the yeah. There is no such thing as hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, so you know accurate. you wouldn't have the like you yeah. know, many weeks of camping out or something explained. You know, in the game, you don't do that bit. Um, so you don't do bits right. that are perhaps boring, or or you would tweak things. You know, just to make it easier to play or yeah more more rewarding so in the same way and that's assuming out... that we know exactly oh, what yeah. happened <laughs> but i mean yeah <laughs> it's not so hyper focused on that you do tweak things so in the same way then what difference is there to tweak you know removing things like casualties or abuse from games because yeah you've, you're tweaking it so that it's more fun because you those things aren't fun <laughs> So when people say, but it has to be, it has to be exactly like war. I'm like, well, war isn't 28 mil on plastic or smaller mil. You know, you're, you're always making changes to it to make it into the game in the first place. Right, right. And I think, I, I think what we're kind of drawing toward, the, the discussion is kind of naturally drawing toward our last agenda point, which was what is it that we can do as war gamers and, and you know, to make sure that we're not crossing that line, right? And and I think part of that is, um, I think part of that is not only the products we choose to buy. Thank you, Annie. It's it's also the rules that we choose to to play. Thank you, Sam. And you know the how we, and and again, it's not necessarily how we represent ourselves and our hobby to the to the to the masses but it's how how do we handle it ourselves right and how do we handle our peer groups also because when we do see someone crossing a line you know that is a member of our peer group you know i, I think it's incumbent upon us to say you know at the very least find out why they're you know why they're making that decision you know um earlier in the discussion someone had mentioned you know bringing in new war gamers well you've if you're a listener to my podcast, you've heard me talk about the recruits wargaming convention in, in Lee Summit, Missouri, which is held at a high school and the, the school gaming club hosts it. And part of the intent of the show is to get younger players to, to get exposure to as many different types of games as you can, you know, and that's, you know, and there's a wide variety of games run there. I've never seen anything that's been objectionable. They they do have a or they used to have a Flames of War tournament and a bolt action tournament. And maybe there's some mm, questionable army choices historically speaking. You know, I, I can imagine there's probably more king tigers fielded on in a given weekend there than actually existed, for example. But you know that that's that's a great opportunity if you are running, for example, an otherwise troublesome. Uh, colonial game to maybe have just a little placard up discussing a little bit more about the context. You know, if you were playing a Rourke's Drift game, for example, you know, maybe have something in there about how, you know, the British went against their, you know, went against the 
treaty that they had established with the Zulus and invaded Zululand, which resulted in the defeat at Isandlwana, and that uh, King Cachueo didn't want his people attacking Rourke's Drift because that was within established, you know, that was within established British land, for example. You know, those are the opportunities, I think, where we can inform people of what it is we're trying to achieve and so it's not just oh they're making they're making a game out of suffering i think because you can't have such a blanket rule on it because well what we've been saying in the whole podcast you know it's there's different levels there's no solution you know there's no one you know this rule will fix everything so i think what's important is to just keep the discussion going so to be constantly you know double checking things or yeah almost like putting yourself in a position of somebody else and going what would they think about this and and just sort of being conscious about it being aware but also when somebody does make a you know does mention something is to to listen because I've been in the, the situation quite a few times so before um I was in historical wargaming I used to play quite a lot of um Warhammer, Warhammer tournaments so it's quite uh, you know around in that sort of scene and um, there's stuff that if you'd say um you know, I'm not happy with that. And then people would defend the thing rather than have the dialogue. Then you're immediately like, well, I'm done with that. So, <laughs> um, and that's that's then going to start excluding people as well, you know, when you're trying to get more and more people in there. So if it's something that you don't understand, I think that's quite an important thing. So again, like I, I don't understand a lot of the, um, you know, issues that somebody ex-military might have with a game. You know, but it would be wrong for me to say, well, I'm fine with it. Like, well, yeah, because I'm, <laughs> I'm not that that person. So I've, you know, in the past, there's been either like um, miniatures, or even so, even rules sometimes. Um, so like a lot of horrific violence against women miniatures that I've, you know, you say don't don't bring that. <laughs> um, and that's the sort of thing. That's the sliding scale as well, because then you go, well, you know there's some modern companies making some absolutely horrific miniatures in that sort of style. Or then you go to that sort of eighties um, or, or b- before that, that sort of pulpy style, you know, where it's, that's part of the trope. And then, you know, where do you go in between? So I can understand that there's gray areas with that, but also things where you might not think about it. So your view of things because everybody's played that way. And then suddenly somebody else comes in and says, mm, I think it's very important to to not go on the defence and to actually have a think about it and and make sure that that person's heard to make things as as nice as possible because there's yeah there's been as I'm going on a monologue now <laughs> fine but there's been there's been stuff that I've experienced in the gaming world where it could very easily have been solved but somebody instead was too concerned about justifying their choice when perhaps a a miniature or something has been so horrific that it's ruined my day to that sort of extent I'm like wow so you know yeah me having my day ruined is less important than you having your abused woman on your you know um the base of your hero or something like that like cool that's uh <laughs> you know <laughs> that's good to know so just to, to get some perspective I think sometimes is is important and uh and yeah, just make, if you're running a gaming club or a convention to make that sort of environment where people can say something without, 
because I always feel like, oh, it's Annie. <laughs> it's Annie having problems with things again. And it's always yeah. like, oh, I massively choose my battles now. I used to always be at war, not at war. <laughs> but it's on some sort of um, justice mission somewhere. But it, I just find it immensely draining. So I'm very much a, a pick your battles person now. But I think that kind of got me to that point where I do. People send me stuff all the time, going, "Annie, look at this! Isn't this terrible?" <laughs> I go, "Yeah, it is, but I'm not going to get wound up about it. If people want to, you know, use those figures, play those games, or whatever, it doesn't directly impact me. Obviously, that's a whole other discussion that it does on that sort of wider level. But back to my my first so going in a roundy sort of way. Back to my first sort of statement: If people are playing in their house with each other, then." You know they can pretty much do what they want because that's their version of the hobby but i don't think it's a bad thing that you know so they can do that nobody's stopping them do that so say they want to play world war ii and have swastikas everywhere and wear their you know wear their ss uniforms or whatever as long as it's a country where it's allowed it's legal to do that nobody physically can stop them do that in their house but if they're going to post that onto a wargaming forum or take that to a convention then that's absolutely correct that people can say um, no. <laughs> how about how about not doing that? So when people bring up the freedom of speech thing, you know, or, or you're going to censor war, like we're not. But this context, this is wrong. I obviously still think it's very wrong them doing that in their houses. But hopefully that's a good extreme example that you know comes across what I mean. Anyway, well, <laughs> well does that does that go to that we should all be respectful? of the people that we're gaming with and the people that are around us when we game. Yeah, just, just be, yeah, your, your surroundings. And people Seems that like would it. have a problem with that are bad people. <laughs> Generally. Seems like a good rule in life. I yeah. Mean. Don't be a dick. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a great rule, but I, well, think that, that, not, I think being respectful sometimes takes a little bit of forethought, which is, I guess, yeah. my, my, my big takeaway from this conversation and the thing that I've been playing around with is just asking some questions beforehand might be a good thing to do. Yeah. Um, because because the being respectful to somebody's point sometimes is tricky when they're saying something that threatens your enjoyment. And, and I'm 100% like, I've been on both sides of this. I Right now, as I paint, I'm binging like first Battlestar Galactica from 1979 and now Buck Rogers. I like the depiction of women is simultaneously for me horrible and everything that I, like the reason I'm heterosexual. You know what I mean? And, and I'm kind of okay with both those thoughts being in my mind. Like, wow, lip gloss and feathered hair is the best thing ever. But also like, oh my God, there's a lot of objectification happening here. That mix, that being able to kind of play with a problematic part of what you enjoy while still enjoying it and just letting it percolate, that I feel like is maybe, that's that that's what I was getting from what you were saying, Annie, is that like if, if someone were to say like, hey, your 40K stuff's a little bit fascist, I might be like, yeah, you're right. And I also like it. And I maybe I'll have a drink of water later and think about that. <laughs> you yeah. know, like that's all I want. Like there's a naked lady crucified on the front of your robot. What's up with that? I don't want a narrative about how that's actually her being in power. I just want somebody to be like, might be a little bit messed up. True. You know what I mean? Um, and so I think, so I'm just going to return to what I, what for me is the main point is that a little bit of forethought, a little bit of like, resilience in, in in being able to think that maybe enjoyment in general is political 
and we might think about the things that we enjoy while we're enjoying it and use it to modify a little bit. Like that's, I think, good. And I, th I really love the point about thinking about people who are not you. I was looking, at, as you were talking, I was looking at the difference. I mean, lighting is a part of it, but if I, if I were painting Gary right now and if I were painting myself, I would use totally different skin tones, right? And I think that might be a way to anticipate the gamer at my at conventions that is not like me. If I just take the traditionally white people like medieval knights or, um, or American soldiers or whatever, and if I just use a range of colors instead of one color, that might signal to the people coming up that, that something that they haven't thought about before, but they're, total, they're kind of into, right? If we read what, what historians are writing about race right now in the Middle Ages, I think that would justify a range of tones for skin colors in our painting. And I think very few of us do that, not because, not because we're racist, but because we just haven't asked the question and maybe looked into that part of history. And so, uh, and now I'm monologuing. So um, <laughs> that's my takeaway. Maybe because we only own, I only only own three colors of flesh tone paint. Yeah, so, I'm lazy. Yeah, you have to have a couple of browns in there, right? Like everybody has some browns. Bert, like the Bert Umber is a great skin color. What's that? So you don't question. Oh. Sometimes you don't question things because it's the default, which is what the conversation right. I've had a lot about <laughs> about the female minis. Because yeah, people all. You'll look at something almost again with fresh eyes once somebody's pointed it out. You're like, oh, yeah, because it's the default. So Crusaders, you know, you instantly think, you know, white Crusaders. So you don't think about it. You're not consciously making a choice. You just do it. So to then, yeah, to raise the question, I think is always really important. But it doesn't mean that those people are necessarily, you know, the worst. Like you said, if you, you don't go to a, a convention and go, oh, those people are playing Zulu Wars. They're the worst people ever immediately. Um, right. But again, with what I said about um, people being able to to bring up an issue and for it to be listened to is also that sometimes you personally might feel offended by somebody being offended because you think, no, of course not. You know, I'm not a racist. I'm not a misogynist. How dare you suggest that? And, and I've, I've had this experience a lot, <laughs> pointing things out and people get so caught up in the defensive because nobody ever wants to be those things and doesn't want to think about themselves as those things. But to step outside and sort of go, oh, I obviously was not intending that, but now I look at it, yeah, maybe that is wrong. And I am going to look at it. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person, but to, to, to hear that complaint, I think, in some cases, and then carry on, that's the point where you become a bad person. But I don't think you should be in fear, because I see some people going, oh, you can't, you can't do anything these days. Like, no, because no one's going to just suddenly cancel you for making a, a you know, an, an error or just doing something, say, like painting, painting a skin tone or something or not including women because that's just the sort of default that you've been exposed to. So you therefore, you know, carry it on. Um, so that's I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's not, um, you know, you being the worst. But you are the worst if you you get, again, more angry about the fact that some how dare somebody suggest that you're not you know the best person ever rather than just acknowledging that okay yeah that thing i was doing probably isn't the best let's change it so yeah not sorry i know i really i remembered where i was going with this it's um uh so yeah don't don't be afraid 
of um of criticism i guess with that and almost so you've got to put your ego aside a little bit um and as long as you can take that stuff on board and, and keep changing and adapting because everyone's going to make mistakes or or do things because they've not they've not looked at it for different eyes and then i'm sure i've done things like that and i've i've had uh, one or two criticisms that i won't go into because then it will make people aware of it <laughs> you know just a very sort of small things that I, and i've found that my own brain has gone oh how dare they don't they see how i do all this stuff and i'm the best feminist ever and they're like no actually hang on yeah yeah i've made an error there yeah that's something to learn from but it's hard it is really hard because you're so your brain wants to sort of protect you i think so yeah, it's 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 really focusing on just listening, almost evaluating yourself from a third person, and and just being more open to things without freaking out. I guess <laughs> you know, just if somebody isn't happy with something, there's you, there's always room to have that that dialogue and make everyone happy, including yourself. So yeah. If we're if we see portrayals of history that are sanitized, or um, not glory, you know, that are in glor glorifying the inglorious. Do we, should we speak out? Should we, um, you know, uh, should we say something? Should we point out that, you know, the, the, you know, I first of all, and I'm going to go back to the uh, Plains Wars because I, I, I really enjoy this set of rules called Pony Wars that are coming and they're going to be being released uh, because they're that Hollywood type skirmish thing. Um, but if you look at what actually occurred on the Plains Wars, you know, it, it wasn't very glorious type scenarios. So do we point those out when we're gaming? Do we have a, you know, does that help if we're pointing that out? I guess it depends on your, on your, shaking on your his environment head. as well. I, I, I want to hear what Sam says. I see him shaking his head and I, I, I want to hear this. So sorry. Go ahead, Sam. <laughs> I just I just think it's a recipe for starting a fight, frankly. Um, <laughs> yeah. In most in most cases, and uh, better to walk away. And if someone is enjoying themselves in a way that you disapprove of, in a public space, I I I don't I don't feel a whole lot of license to come I and guess tell them. Unless it's on okay, that Colin, sort of that means end, we can again that spectrum. If something's really 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 bad, but if it's pretty much the stuff we've been discussing today, then yeah, that would be. Okay. Again, I, I think we're talking about something where the stakes are pretty low, and I understand what Ilana is saying about you know the connection, the the connection of all these elements of society and the long term, long term normalization of various kinds of, of, of bigotry. But um, anyway, yeah, it, 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 I, I have an Arab American heritage. You know, half of my family were Muslims from Iraq, and I tell you, after nine eleven. You couldn't go to an American gaming show or much do much else, frankly, without hearing all sorts of horrendous things about uh, <clears throat> what sort of evil my ancestors and cousins and so on were perpetrating on the earth. And if I'd if I'd chosen to make a fight out of every one of those games in which you know the the Zulus had been turned into uh, uh, Arabs, uh, I you know I'd be covered in bruises. There's, there just wasn't any point. Um, and besides, it wasn't it wasn't costing me anything that <laughs> that was significant, you know, to to just walk yeah. away. I think that's the pick your battles sort of thing again. So, Colin, uh, and you're not gonna, oh, go ahead. You're not going to make any friends or convince anybody by just attacking them. Uh, and the difficulty with history is that it is endless debate um, and proving your side of the 
of the thing. I mean, unless you're really, 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 really sure. And even then, um, I mean, we, we have constantly, like we, on the Ancient Warfare podcast, we constantly debate ancient military history. And, you know, we probably, you know, turn over some some ideas that have been long been set in people's minds. But I don't go around wargaming shows and, and try to correct people. I mean, uh, you know, that's, it is it's such, it's such a, it's a, as, as Sam said, it's, it's a recipe for disaster. And, and you're not gonna, I don't think you're gonna convince anybody to change their ways unless, you know, it's something obvious and, and something they can do anything about right. other than, you know, telling them to chuck their game that they've worked maybe years on. Well, I come from a background of being pretty much a pedantic ass. So, you know, I wind up will be that type. But Colin, that you do realize that this means that we you can continue painting your 15 millimeter planes wars and I can go with the six millimeter planes war. So we're all set there. We're covered. Perfect. OK, cool. Um, so could I just I know I've been monologuing a lot just please. a little bit um, just to follow on from that is that one thing you could do is just to lead by example. Mm which is what I try really hard to yeah. do with Bad Squidow. Because I could constantly be arguing with companies or they're going, oh, this mini's not right, this mini's not right. And I do do that a lot in my house to my housemates, <laughs> you know, but I don't do that. That's not something they do publicly. I'd more rather just focus on doing what I do and that's sort of lifting up what you think is good. So if people are in that sort of position, say like some of you guys with your podcasts and stuff, um, that you're not being awful <laughs> it's it's just more of that you know be what you want there to right. be more of you know in the world I think that's a really important way to to do things without just creating yeah. and if you're a customer with... you you can vote with your wallet yeah there you go there you go if you think Annie is doing the right thing buy more of Annie's stuff it's spoiler alert she is it stopped me from <laughs> <laughs> it stopped me from arguing with people on Facebook which I used to do far too oh, much now I'll be like shall I no, no, no. <laughs> well, I think... No, just keep on making nice minis, Annie. That's all you got to do. And I felt it's a much sort of happier way for you to live life as well. I think we could do a little bit more also, Gary, with what you were saying about Old West games. And I think how we talk about Old West games. Um, I think I would like to see that more in, throughout the, um, the hobby. And Colin, what you were saying, I think about Napoleonics, although that's a period that I've never had anything to do with. Like if we could say this is a real King Arthur story, R-E-E-L, and then put on our miniatures game, I, I would like to see that as opposed to the one that is trying to do something historically, which I would also like to see. Right. I think maybe just a distinction as we're leading by example, as we're doing things, just not necessarily calling out historical inaccuracies, but making a distinction whether we're doing a more narrative type of gaming or a more historical type of gaming both of which I think exist, but they get conflated in the way that we present games sometimes. Well, I think one thing that to go with your point, the, the real West games, you know, the REO, the Hollywood type, you know, based upon the, the movies are going to be more in your low level skirmish games where it becomes more of a personal, each figure becomes more of a personality, more of an individual. Whereas when I put on a game of Blucher and have, you know, a thousand figures out on the table, they become masses of units, and which is the intent of the game. It's you're you taking a higher level approach, so it becomes a more sanitized, and that gives you the point where you can then explain the history of the individual, the history of the of the actions of the units, and the the history that you're trying to portray and to to 
non-gamers or to people, whatever. And it's going to be a very much more accepted and easy accepted to do. When you're doing the skirmish, then you need to explain to me, in my opinion, this is purely my opinion, you then need to explain whether or not you're trying to capture history or capture a movie. And there's a difference. And then throw in a little bit of, of the personal into it because personality does help people to relate and to understand what you're doing and to understand that it's not just a um, glorifying thing. It's you're recreating or you're bringing a personality into it and you're bringing that, that set of play into it. So just my, my two cents. Harry, I think we're, I think we got a couple folks that are running up against some hard times here. So I think that's a, we do. That's a great, great place to stop. Um, folks uh, on on behalf of Gary and Collins, Sam, Elon, Jasper, Annie, thanks thanks for joining us today. Um, just a real quick thumbs up. Do we have uh, a quick minute for last thoughts? Does anybody have one last thing they wanted to get in? Sam, you're good. Elon, I think you're all right. Jasper, Collins got a point. Annie? Yep. I just want to say it was a really, really good chat. And uh, yeah, that's it. It's, it's a very interesting one. And it's great when it's not you know, one big side versus another side, you know, saying this is right, this is wrong. It's just quite a nice flow. So I really enjoyed it. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us. Colin, you had one last point you wanted to make. Yeah. Uh, so we've talked a lot about um, how things affect each other and uh, what we can do, but it's easier to say more so than do. Um, so actually put this rubber to the road. <laughs> And I think a great way forward would, would just be getting to understand somebody. So I, I can go out and I'll probably drive around and probably yell at some of their drivers. That's become dehumanizing them because I just see cars. I, there's people I don't know. I think a, a real good step forward would just get to know the person, understand what, what limits they have and what they enjoy. And I think we could just get along way better at, at games. And this includes conventions too. Great point. That's all. That's a great point. All right. Well, thanks. Jay, thanks. Thank you. It's been fun. Gary, thanks, thank everyone. Yay. All right. All right. With that, folks, we're out. So as I'm sure you've heard uh, in that conversation, we, we did cover quite a bit of ground. Uh, I would like to go back and talk about some of the issues that were brought up, maybe in a little bit more detail in the future. Um, I've had some discussions in past episodes regarding some of the issues we did touch on. Um, I am immediately reminded of my episode with Pat Gilliland. We were talking about uh, military and battle reenactment, and that kind of led down the rabbit hole of display of certain flags and symbology and there, there there are many other issues to uh to discuss so i do want to talk about them in the future like i mentioned before uh, or at the beginning of this podcast and so you know if, if you've got a particular aspect of this discussion you'd like to talk about further you know let me know and if you yourself don't want to talk about it that's cool but if you do you know i'd, I'd love to talk to you so this might be something I go back to on occasion and uh, maybe talk to you, the listener, uh, and 
maybe if you just have something to get off your chest, you want to send me a an audio message, that'd be all right too. Anyhow, um, I've got quite a few projects I need to get to, so I'm going to wrap up this podcasting bit and uh, try to work on those a little. So on that note, as always, if the wargaming you're having isn't any fun, you make it fun. That is all. The Veteran Wargamer is copyright J. Arnold 2021. Music is handed by Studio 35, courtesy of freemusicarchive.org.